Well, good morning. Good morning. I see some very familiar faces and some new friends out there as well. Um, Everybody from Ames is saying, man, greet everybody up there. Tell them hi. You get to go up. They're all, you know, kind of jealous that I get to be up here with you guys. And um, seeing already just, wow, looking out here at what God's done over just a, a few months. Guys, it's really incredible, really encouraging. And then this morning, so my wife, Teresa, and I actually stayed here at this place. And uh, there's this hotel magazine of, of the chain, you know, just kind of advertising their chain of, of hotels. And I popped it open, and the, the picture there was of Madison, Wisconsin, which is where another church plant is going to be happening. So I took a picture of it and sent it to Rob, who's the church planner for that. And we're texting back and forth, praying for you today. So anyway, just this growing movement of churches who are choosing to actually plant in university centers. Um, guys, many, many churches are running away from those scary universities and, and thinking, oh man, that's, that's got to be a tough place to plant a church. And for you guys to courageously lean into God and say, the gospel needs to flourish in these university communities. The University of Minnesota and the Twin Cities needs more vibrant, flourishing churches so that university students can be welcomed in not just to the gospel, of course the gospel, but the gospel community of his church. And so even the FIDA student thing you've got going on today, that's awesome. That's awesome. When we started actually back in Ames uh, a couple decades ago, uh, we were a little overwhelmed at moments like that. Like I started getting like afraid for the community people because we had like maybe 20 or 30 community people and about 200 college students. So when those kind of announcements went off, we're like, "Ah, ah," like, okay, here we go. Anyway, um, what what Drew said about um, my connection with Drew, I mean, I love Drew so much. Um, And so when I got the news that Jude had been born and with these heart conditions, immediately I'm taken back in my mind to a journey that God has taken my wife and I through. And so, guys, I, it is my favorite thing to take passages out of the Bible and systematically help people understand what the Bible has to say. That will be true this morning, but way more than just systematically going through this passage, uh, Psalm 121. It's actually a deeply personal journey for me, and I, I want to tell you about that um, And I hope, honestly, this has been my prayer, that it will become a deeply personal journey for all of you this morning as well. Um, So here's what happened. Um, We had moved to LA and uh, to go to school and our second child, Audrey, was born. And um, about four or five days after she was born, all of a sudden we can't wake her up and she's breathing really rapidly and We have no idea what we're doing. And so anyway, long story short, they end up from clinic to hospital to hospital to hospital. We end up finding out that she's in heart failure. And in order to tell us this, uh, the doctor kind of takes us into this little room that I remember as a broom closet. I'm sure it was something a little more than that, but, but saying, hey, actually, we finally discovered what's wrong. Your daughter's in heart failure, but right now your daughter needs me more than you'd need me. So unless you have any quick questions, I need to go. And we're standing there just, you know, like, and then he left us, right? And uh, by God's miraculous grace, um, he intervened, God intervened, and we have her here with us, and, and she's awesome, and she's about to have a baby of her own, and that whole story. But that was countered, or not countered, it was followed by uh, when our third child was born, Colin, and uh, about four or five days after he was born, we couldn't wake him up, couldn't, and uh, ended up 
run to the hospital, everything. And we're following the ambulance to the next hospital. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, God, no, you can't do this again, right? Like this panic seized in. Well, Colin wasn't heart failure. Uh, he had two internal infections. And um, basically, he hovered between life and death for about a month. And we had other kids at home. The hospital was on an hour away. And so we would, we would just be like hovering, one of us tag teaming at a time, hovering over him, wondering, is that his last breath right now? Is, are we watching his last breath? For like a month, this went on. So one night, um, I was the hoverer at that point, and that's kind of my job, I feel like at least, is to be the hoverer. So I'm hovering over Colin, and I am so, you guys, I am going mad. I am absolutely going mad. There are all these numbers and lights and Billy Rubin blankets, and there's apparatuses everywhere, and they have shaved his head real quick to get the intravenous into his head because they, all of his veins were collapsing. There, it, everything looks horrible horrible. And this is like sustained. And I finally, I, they gave us a little room to get some rest. And I did, you know, here I am, Mr. Seminary graduate, uh, know how to study my Bible. And I did, you guys, this is absolutely the wrong way to study your Bible, what I'm about to tell you. But I was a desperate man. I went back to this room. I saw my Bible. And in fact, you guys, this Bible, I brought the Bible that was the Bible. I've kept it. Um, so I got back to that room and I saw that Bible and I grabbed it and I said, God, you have to give me something. And I, I'm sorry, it was almost that demanding and it's wrong. Okay, so I just took my Bible and I popped it open and the Psalm was Psalm 121, okay? Let me read to you Psalm 121 and then um, I'm gonna tell you what, what happened as a result of an absurd, bold prayer, a terrible way to study your Bible, but this was the grace that came to me in that moment, Psalm 121. I lift up my, by the way, I've got written on the side of it, Colin's Psalm. Uh, I lift up my eyes to, sorry. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I read those words, and it was as if the Lord were saying to me, hey, why don't you lay down and sleep? Because you need sleep, and I'm never going to fall asleep. I'm never going to take my eyes off Colin. And I lay down in that bed, and for the first time in weeks, fell into the deepest restful sleep. I was awakened by the phone beside the bed. I picked it up, and it was the nurse that was one-to-one -one connected to Colin, and she said, hey, Somebody just woke up, he's pretty hungry, and he wants to see his dad. And I jumped out of the bed, ran down there, and in that time, when I was completely out of the room, out of consciousness, God intervened and turned the corner, and um, I've actually got a couple of pictures. Um, one, the first one, so this is actually, it might seem weird to you, this is Colin's arm. This is Colin now as an adult. If I jump down here, will it mess up the speakers? Because I want to see what you're looking at. Okay. So 
So this is actually Colin's tattoo on his arm. See Psalm 121? So um, Colin is able to tell the story by wearing Psalm 121 and tells the story. But I want you to see the next picture um, because this is Colin and his little son, Grafton. And when Grafton was born, I wrote out the words to Psalm 121 and actually inserted um, Grafton into that story as well as Colin because Colin now is um, not only with us, but has brought his own son into the world. And I think the miracle of Psalm 121 still still resonates. Um, That whole story just came flooding back into my mind when Drew called and I found out about Jude, right? And I immediately, in fact, he said to me, um, where should I go in the scriptures? How should I be praying? I was at Colin's house, FaceTiming with Drew, and I'm like, hey, Colin, can you pull your sleeve up? (laughs) And literally took the FaceTime over and said, here, here's the Psalm. (laughs) Showed him Colin's arm, you know, with Psalm 121. I said, yeah, that'd be pretty much where where I would go. Um, So I want to just, I want to invite you guys into this moment with me, okay? Because you might not be like Drew where you have an infant child hovering between life and death. Um, but you, you're facing some, some real consequential times in your life, maybe, okay? And, and life is pressing in hard. And so maybe that's uh, with a family member. Maybe it's a relational brokenness. Maybe it is a health thing. Maybe, maybe it's financial. Maybe, maybe you're at a crossroads. Maybe you're a student and not knowing what to do with your life and you're getting at that time where you gotta start making decisions. Whatever it is, maybe maybe... Many of you here are at some kind of crossroads and it seems crippling to you and you're, if I pressed in long enough and hard enough, it could bring you to tears. In fact, I'm looking out and there are already some tears because already you're knowing, man, am I the only one in the room? I hope, hope, hope that many of you feel like you're the only one in the room as God's word goes into your heart and to your soul. Because in those moments, guys, I start darting my eyes around saying, where do I turn? Where do I turn? What do I do? And I look inside and there aren't any answers. I haven't found any answers in here. And so now I'm panicking. So maybe I go to friends and honestly, as dearly as I love my friends, not helpful in those moments. They, they, they don't have the answer, right? And so I go to my church and I go, and I just keep looking around, looking around. Who can help me? Where can I find the answers, right? I, I am so desperate in those moments. And what I believe is that that is exactly what was going on in the heart of the psalmist when he penned these words. Because look at those opening lines, guys, where he, he's lifting up his eyes, his eyes to the hills. Maybe some of your translations have, I lift up my eyes to the mountains, that, that he's looking to the mountains. Why? He's looking to the mountains because, and let me just reread those, those opening verses. If you've got a Bible with you, you're seeing them as well. I'm reading, by the way, out of the NIV. That was the, the, that was the Bible that, that I had when I grabbed this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And it's a serious question. It's a very serious question. So why is he looking to the hills? Why would this, this Hebrew poet look, to the mountains. Well, is it because he's thinking of running there for safety? I'm looking up to the hills. Like, should I run up there? Because that's what sometimes you did when you got attacked. You know, you ran up into the hills and hid. 
Is he hoping that maybe from over the hills some word of hope would come to him? Maybe some distant ally will send word? Is that why he's looking to the hills? Is he maybe on the other side of that wondering if an enemy is about to come down upon him out of those hills? For whatever reason, in his panic, his eye gets fixed on the hills, on the mountains, right? And then it hits him, verse two, it hits him. He's looking at the grandeur and the majesty of these mountains, thinking about where he can get help. And all of a sudden, the mountain itself starts speaking to him, kind of in a Psalm 8 or a Psalm 19 way. The mountain itself starts speaking to him and says, hey, actually, your help is gonna come from the one who made this mountain. (laughs) You're looking to the hill for some means of help. Actually, it's not the hill at all. It's the creator of the hill, right? That, that God who created that majestic mountain that is whatever reason drawing you. And so as he fixes his eyes on the mountain, all of a sudden, the God who created the mountain is my help. That's why he says that, right? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help isn't coming from the mountain. It's the God who made the mountain. So let me back up and tell you one of the things that happened when Audrey was in heart failure um, and the doctor left us in that broom closet. Teresa swears it wasn't a broom closet. I'm going to my grave saying it was a broom closet. Anyway, um, left us. I am so stunned and so panicked, and I am ready to fix whatever is wrong and do whatever I can. And Teresa said to me in that sacred moment, um, Jeff, we need to pray. And you know what my response was? Here's, here's the godly pastor standing in front of you. No! No, I'm not praying right now. That was literally, I was like, no, I'm not gonna pray because my mind was so fixed on what I was gonna do to get this changed. What other doctor would I need to call? Do we need to transfer? And so I'm in fix-it mode. My wife's appealing to me to pray and I wouldn't pray. Now, how godly is that? Now, let me ask you something. Did God look down at that moment and say, fine, you're not gonna talk to me? And strike my daughter? Is that what he did? No, guys, because here is what's true in those moments. The reason we look to the Lord, the reason I'm demanding of my soul that I will look to the Lord in those moments to send myself is because God's work at that point wasn't dependent on my faithfulness. It was dependent on his faithfulness. And so I started using this refrain when I come to Psalm 121. The first line of the refrain that I'm gonna force myself is that I am gonna look to the Lord I am going to look to the Lord and not to myself and not to the mountain or whatever because I need to look to the Lord when, when I am incapable of doing anything else, my eye has to go unto the Lord. And it's because of what he then follows with in these next couple, couple verses because he never fails. I am going to be failing like clinically, consistently, but he never fails, right? And, and here's, look, look again at Psalm 121, look at verse three because here's what he says. He will not let your foot slip. (laughs) Like I'm, in my mind, I'm already careening down all over the place, right? God in his faithfulness, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. In fact, you know what I did? Where it says now, you, I wrote Colin. I've got it written, got Colin written in here. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, and then in parentheses, Colin, will neither slumber nor sleep. When I refused to pray, God kept on working. And here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a repeated word, depending on your translation. It's going to be translated something a little differently. In the version I'm using, NIV, it's watches, watches over you, watches over you, and then keeps 
He comes back six times, you guys. The most repeated word in this whole little psalm is the word keeps or watches over or protects or guards or, or hovers, okay? That, that's actually the word, to keep, to watch over. The reason we use a bunch of different English words over there is because the idea is God is actually hovering over at that moment. What I thought was my job and my responsibility, God's, got, God's like, I got this. That's actually my job. I'm the hoverer. Okay, he never, ever takes his eyes off you or me or Jude or now little Grafton, Collins. So there's a, a really cool story. Derek Prince is this old dead guy that I like to read. Uh, he, he wrote a lot of different things. He was a great Bible teacher, but my favorite book that he has is on the Psalms and he, and he reflects on Psalm 121 and listen, listen to what he says. He says it. I once watched a little boy being carried on his father's arm. I, I noticed how tightly he clutched his father's lapel. And after a while, however, he fell asleep and his hand slipped away from the lapel. Yet his father continued to hold him just as securely. The boy's security did not depend on his holding on to his father, but only on his father keeping hold on him. So it is in our relationship with God. Sometimes we feel that if we don't hold on tightly enough to God, we will fall. But the fact is that God continues to hold us even if we let go of him. We may fall asleep, but he never does. So keep, keep your finger here or your app or whatever and go back to Psalm 37 with me real quick because Psalm 37 is another one of those. Man, I don't know if you guys can hear the pages turn on my Bible, but it is a beautiful sound to me. Um, they, they're kind of old and kind of crinkly and, oh man, it just brings back, it's like meeting up with an old friend again. Anyway, so uh, Psalm 37 verse 23 I love these verses, Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Is that beautiful, you guys? The, the psalmist just paints such beautiful, vivid pictures. So, so if I'm, you know walking along with a little toddler and they, you know, they're, they're not walking very well or maybe they trip, maybe even just trip on themselves, whatever. And, and they go to, go to fall, you know. Have you ever been with parents and what they do is they actually kind of almost lift them up, like even lift their, their feet up and just set them back down, right? You know what I mean? And what does that toddler think the whole time? Dude, look at me. Dude, I am fierce, right? Like, I, I, I can walk, check me out. Woo, there I am, I'm right back. You know, they are almost completely unconscious of the fact that they are not self-propelling at that point, right? They're, they're not aware. They're just thinking, look at me, I'm the man, right? But what do we all know what's true? Their, their steadiness, their ability to keep going is not dependent on their own strength. It's dependent on that faithful parent who's carrying them along and sometimes picking them up and setting them right back down again, right? That's what he's saying is our relationship with our God. Even when we fail, even when we stumble, we're not going to be hurled headlong. The, the idea of being hurled headlong is this. What parent, if their toddler is falling along, when they start stumbling, be like, oh, come on. Are you never going to get it? And shoves them down. Like, what godly parent does that to be hurled headlong? No, no. The godly, beautiful, wonderful mother or father is there to support and strengthen and lift them up. 
in those moments. That's the kind of God we have. Not frustrated with us, loving us, adoring us, supporting us, strengthening us. So, so the way I work through the, the psalm in my mind, guys, is I will look to the Lord, right? Because it's kind of a vow I'm making through, through Psalm 120. This is what the psalm taught me to do. When I encounter the next trouble, I will look to the Lord. Because it's not my impulse. My impulse is to be the hover or the fixer. Nope, no more. Psalm 121, train my mind, transform my mind. I will look to the Lord because he never fails. Those next couple of verses. Because he never fails. I do, clinically. He never fails. And the last phrase to that vow, I will look to the Lord because he never fails to keep me in his watchful care. He will keep me, and I'm going to use that word to keep or to watch over, to keep me in his watchful care. So look again, back in Psalm 121, the, uh, verse 5. The Lord watches over you, hovers over you, guards you, keeps you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So, so when he says he's your shade at your right hand, that word for shade is, is a Hebrew word for, for protection, okay? Imagine the wings of a mighty eagle putting the shade over you, right? And so, so you're either in the, like the shadow of a mighty tree or under the mighty wings of an eagle or maybe whatever that is, a fortress wall, you're in the shadow, the shade of something that's going to be able to protect you. So uh, I'm gonna have you look at one other psalm because the psalms are just so rich with this. Look, look back with me to Psalm 91 real quick, okay? I want the psalms to fill your imaginations this morning, okay? Because that's what they're meant to do, fill your imaginations. Look at Psalm 91, Verses one through four, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So every time I read that verse, I can't help but hear Elizabeth Elliot read. I don't know if you guys are Elizabeth Elliot fans, but she's now with, with Jesus. But for years, she was kind of a mentor to my wife and I. We got, got to actually meet her one time uh, out in L.A. You guys know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Anybody? A handful. Okay, for that handful that just raised their hand, I got to give Elizabeth Elliot a ride in my orange Volvo. Okay, so just going to say right now, boom. The rest of you are like, don't really care, don't know her. Anyway, she, this is kind of her theme verse. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge. He's my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. And look at this. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Just security. That's, that's the picture. It's a security, protector, defense, right? So, I'm going to look to the Lord because he never, ever fails to keep me in his watchful care. And now he's just going to give this list of ways that he keeps us in his watchful care. And the first one, we're, we're protected. We're in the shadow, in the shade of his protective arms. And then he, he talks about that, the day and the night, right? That you don't have to worry about the, um, the sun harming you by day, nor the moon by night in verse 6. So, so the day and night is, is to give us a, another picture. It doesn't matter if it's daytime and you're watching the imminent threat coming at you. Like, like some of the things that we fear, it's because we see them and we know them and they keep approaching and we're afraid of them, right? 
Like not the, the sudden illness that, that my children have been through, but like when, when Teresa's sister uh, encountered cancer not long ago, and we saw it coming as she battled for a couple of years, and, and, and when she finally passed away, like we watched it coming our way, coming our way, coming our way, coming our way, right? So you don't have to fear about those things that are in broad daylight and you see them coming, or by night, those, those sudden things, those catastrophic things, those, those wake you up in the middle of the night kind of things. He's saying, I don't want you to fear by day, you see it coming, by night where it's just out of nowhere, never saw that coming. I know, God is saying, I get that. Some of the things that, that rose to the top of your heart and in your soul, when I asked that question earlier about what's, what are you facing, it's all over the spectrum, right? Some things you know exactly, and then those other things that you're fearing might happen. God's like, yep, I get it. And I'm there through it all, by day or by night. Verse 70 adds another layer to this idea of keeping us in his watchful care, protection, and vigilance like day and night, no matter what. And then verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Some of your translations might even have, instead of life, the word soul. It's actually the Hebrew word for, for soul. And the reason is because God isn't just watching out for us in, in the physical realm. It's the eternal realm. And that's what he's actually most concerned about is the eternal realm. So, so he watches over our soul, okay? Which ramps us to the very last verse, which is just the beautiful icing on the cake. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So guys, when the Hebrew poet uses coming and going, it's like a, a Hebrew euphemism for you come into this world and you go out of this world and he never takes his gaze off you. Whether you're coming in or when it's time to go out, God's got this. So I didn't tell you about our first child because we never got to hold our first child. Um, our first child actually w was taken by the Lord um, by miscarriage. Um, we named him Ben. And every now and then when I think about heaven, I think one of the most beautiful, delightful gifts God is going to have for me is, hey, I want to introduce you to Ben. <laughs> I've, never, I've never gotten a chance to talk to him or meet him. And, um, sometimes God allows the coming and going to happen pretty quickly. But you know what? God's got that. We have to trust him. We had some dear friends, their little boy, Kale, um, passed away at like eight, 18 months old, like too old for it to be SIDS, like had been up, playful, had his lunch, went down for a nap, and never woke up. I sat in the emergency room with his dad. His dad, this big strapping cop, had been called to the scene as a cop. It's his son. So now we're in the emergency room, and there's Kale, lifeless, Kale laying there, and and. There's Derek and his Kevlar and his uniform, and I'm, there's more cops in that room. It's like a clown car. There's more cops in that room that I thought could even fit because they're all like rallying, you know what I mean? And, and I'm there, and I've got my arm around Derek. You guys, I've never prayed a more sincere prayer. I don't think in my life, I, I thought the most appropriate thing for God to do would be to raise him back to life in that moment. I prayed, God, would you resurrect Kale right now? Please, God, I'm begging, I'm pleading. And it didn't happen. God allowed Kale's coming and going to happen 
And you know what? The gospel story that has gone on from Kale's life has been much more remarkable than I think that even if a resurrection had happened, the number of cops, who, like Ames is like the safest, most Christian place because all these cops that came to Christ, unbelievable firemen that came to Christ, it's still going on. Like every time I'm like waving at cops, like I'll bet you're part of the God story of Kale's coming and going because the gospel movement that has gone out, sometimes we can't see the beauty of the going that's all, every bit a part of God's plan and our trust has to be, God, you watch my coming and you going both now and forevermore. You guys remember, you know, I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian home, uh, neither my wife nor I, but I was taught to pray before I went to sleep. Did you, did you guys ever, now I lay me down to sleep, did you guys pray that thing? It's kind of a morbid, scary prayer. I don't know of all the things my mom could have taught me now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to, yeah, Psalm 121 language, actually. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, I pray the Lord my soul to, to keep my soul. Keep, keep my soul. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's actually Psalm 121 language, right? God, you brought me into this world. I, I pray, would you take me back out of this world? I don't know. Maybe that's tonight. Now, it's, kind of, it's a heavy thought to, you know, a three-year-old, his first prayer. I don't know we're ready to unpack that one for him, but, but Psalm 121 language. Okay, guys, the most appropriate thing that we could do right now is to, is to show us the New Testament version of Psalm 121, which I think is actually Romans 8 that Drew already had us go to. So will you go with me to Romans 8? I was actually a little stunned when Drew started quoting Romans 8 because I'm like, yeah. Dude, this is exactly where we should go. Romans 8 is expansive, unpoetic language. That's kind of New Testament-esque poetry for Psalm 121. And now what we know is how God keeps us. And he has a name, it's Jesus. Verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, you got to stop because sometimes we look at that and we're like, yep, that's why I'm going to get the promotion. Yep, good. That's right. That's why I'm going to, you know, that's why God's going to heal my child right now. Yep, because God always works for the good. And we want to insert our definition of, of good at that moment. But actually what God would say is, no, keep reading. Actually, you know, don't, don't just insert your own definition to this because I'm going to actually expand on it a lot right now. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, okay? Called according to his purpose. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. He called us. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. This thing's getting... It's going to ramp up to the most beautiful conclusion and glorification. What then shall we say in response to this? Okay. If we believe what he has just told us in 28 to 30, what should be our response? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Like if he's promised us the world, everything short of that is ours as well. Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. 
Who is he that condemns? Look, Christ Jesus, who died for us, right? More than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. So the one who could judge us, the one who's in the position of judge, actually died for us, raised for us, and is praying for us right now. So we got this. Who shall separate us from that kind of love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Okay, now stop, because once again, it's not reaching us. In all what things? Well, of the list of things that he has just referred to, facing death all day long, considering as sheep to be slaughtered, and it's in all these things that we are more than conquerors. <laughs> Let that sink in for a second. When, when I am facing my greatest mortal peril, what this tells me, I'm more than a conqueror in that moment. Why? Because I am convinced that neither death nor life, like the end of all things or anything that could happen while I'm still alive, nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our hope. That's, that's why we can look to Psalm 121 and anchor our soul in it. Because we know how he keeps us. We know how he watches our coming and our going. It's Christ. It's Jesus. And, it, and it's not to glibly kind of pretend like you, you, the, the, the pain you're facing isn't real. No, those tears, they're real. And God loves that. But what he wants to say is, oh, let me redirect your eyes. I, I, I want to take your gaze because you guys, you and I, we need to look to the Lord. Why? Because he never fails in life or death or anything else. He never fails. He, he keeps his watchful gaze on us at all times. He keeps us his watchful gaze. So what we're going to do this morning is to re-anchor our souls in the gospel. Re-anchor ourselves in Psalm 121, in Romans 8, and we as gospel people know that this is true. And the way that we remind ourselves of that is by taking communion. Okay, so we're going to do that together. And I just want to say right now, I want to, I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment. If you're here and you actually don't feel tethered to the God that I'm talking about right now, if you don't feel the security of his protection, this is your day to come to know this God who loves you immeasurably and wants to walk with you and pick you up when you stumble and hover over you when you're in pain and secure you when you feel like you are unbelievably insecure. And that God has a name, it's Jesus. And what we just read in Romans 8, he died for you, he rose for you, he intercedes, pleads for you. This is your day to know him. But I want to pray with and for all of us, and then we're going to take communion. But will you pray with me?
Actually, will you do this? Will you stand up with me? It's in that way that our bodies kind of let the Lord know and let our own selves know that we're at full attention, right? So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, you are the keeper of our souls. And Lord, I think for me, I know had I not gone through some of the valleys that you led me into, Audrey, Colin, so many other things, things pressing into my soul even right now, I wouldn't have been able to taste and see how good you are and how beautiful Psalm 121 is the promises of Romans 8 are. And so, Lord, I'm not going to lie. I don't like the pain. I don't like going there. I don't like the valley. But, Lord, I wouldn't trade what you teach me in these moments for anything in the world. And the taproot of faith and trust goes so deep when I look up to the mountains and recognize the one who made the mountains is on my side. So we rejoice in you. Even right now in the midst of pain and tears, we rejoice in you. We will look to you because you never fail. You have not looked away. You have not taken your gaze off us. You will always, always hover and keep and watch and guard those that have entrusted themselves into your faithful care, and you are faithful. So we love you, Jesus. And we reaffirm our trust in you right now. In Christ's name that we pray.